found this in my fridge a couple of days ago. There was a little something left in the bottom. I'm not quite sure what it was, so I dumped it out. This is a container that says uh, Tropicana Coastal Groves. It says original lemonade on it. 100% natural. And on the front, you probably can't see it's small, uh, just a, a picture of a, a beautiful lemon. And then there's another one that is cut in half, um, you know, just enticing you. It's, it's juicy. It's lovely. It's, it's, just, uh, it's just what you want. Then I have to look at the ingredients label. <laughs> Remember, this is original lemonade, 100% natural. And, and you know that when they list the ingredients, they're supposed to, by law, list the ingredients from greatest to least. Okay? But at least that's what I've heard. So, on this ingredients label, we have filtered water. Followed by filtered water is sugar. And then followed by sugar is, and this is all one description, not from concentrate lemon juice. I think maybe that means they squeezed the lemons. And then there is white grapefruit pulp followed by natural flavors. How is it that in original lemonade that is 100% natural, there is what appear to be very little lemon? Does that trouble you at all? doesn't trouble you a bit, does it? Well, let me tell you why that troubles me. Got to thinking, what if I had an ingredients label on me? What if you had an ingredients label on you? Because the reality is, I like to call myself a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And I know that many of you like to consider yourselves as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. When people look at the ingredients label of my life, of your life, what do they read? What do they experience? You see, this says original lemonade. Truth be told, I think it's original other stuff with just a taste of lemon in it. Do you suppose when people... Look at the ingredients of my life and of your life closely. Do they find us to be just a little flavored with Jesus? Or do they find us to be 100% pure Jesus? That is reflected in our conversation, my conversation, your conversation, our conversation together as God's people in the Appwood Community Church family. Is Jesus central to our lives? Are we full to overflowing with Jesus or do we just taste a little like Jesus? We've been learning more together the past two Sundays about the early believers in Acts chapter 2, their devotion to the breaking of bread. We uh, 
We've been looking at Acts chapter 2, using that as our primary text. I've asked Kate if she would just stand and uh, read that out for us this morning. Remind us again of this description of the early believers, Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2. Go ahead, Kate. Thank you. My suspicion all along has been if you look closely at those folks, you're not going to find perfect people. There are none. But but something about what is going on there makes me think that those are people who are really quite full of Jesus. There's more than just a flavor of Jesus there, more than just a, a hint of a taste uh, that is a description of a group of people who are who are full and who are overflowing with Jesus. Breaking of bread. Whoa. One of the four things that the early believers were devoted to. And we know we, we talked last week briefly that there's there's question among commentators as to what exactly does that mean to the breaking of the bread? Is this breaking of the bread a uh, sharing of bread that was a staple in that society? Did they uh, did they break it as they shared meals together? Or is this that Luke is referring to here? Is this breaking the bread more of a a communion together? I think the answer is yes, it is both. It is both. And I told you that my bias is when these folks came together and broke bread. I don't think that it's so much a matter of what the setting was or how they did it. It's who they remembered when they did it. When they broke bread, they remembered Jesus. If it was more of a formal communion-like setting, then they would have called to mind his words, do this, do this often, and remember me when you do this. If it was just simply a meal, gathering together in one another's homes, as was very common, sharing bread, which was very common. Then they remembered the words of Jesus. I am the bread of life. The existence of bread in that culture, I think, brought to mind often for those people, the reality and the centrality of who Jesus was. As bread was a staple to life in the first century, Jesus was a necessity, a staple for life to those who claim to be his followers. And so our emphasis in looking at this has been remembering Jesus. They spoke of Jesus. Jesus just had to be a part of their conversations. Why wouldn't they speak of Jesus together? How often when we gather as God's people, Formally, informally. Is Jesus a part of our conversations? I know that seems a little bit legalistic. And yet I wonder. I wonder if there are other things that 
that take up the majority of our conversation, how much do we speak of Jesus with one another? Who Jesus is to us, what Jesus has done in our lives. Do we share a commitment and a joy and an enthusiasm and an eagerness to talk about Jesus? These folks, I think, spent significant time talking about Jesus. They knew Jesus. Many of them had been with Jesus. And knowing Jesus, they talked about him because he had changed their lives. It's, it's like my friend Gary, years ago, reading the Gospel of John for the first time in his life, said to me one day, Jesus is the most incredible person I've ever met. Yes. Did we talk about Jesus? Does it seem reasonable to you to assume that, that these early believers were pretty uh, focused upon Jesus? Pretty excited about Jesus, especially when you consider what we uh, when we talked about last Sunday. Remember, we talked about life change, that marvelous text from Hebrews chapter one, where the writer of Hebrews showed us that, that Jesus is God's final and clearest revelation of himself to his people. The writer says that in the past, God spoke to us, to the prophets, various times, various ways. The writer of Hebrews is saying there are no more prophets, there are no more judges, there are no more kings, there are no more donkeys. All tools that God spoke to speak to, used to speak to his people, all of that is done. The writer of Hebrews was telling the Jews, big change has come. If you really want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. You want to know what what God desires from his people? Look at Jesus. One of the purposes of the heart of Yahweh, they are seen clearly and they are seen ultimately in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. How important is Jesus to us, my friends? Writer of Hebrews says there is nothing more important for those who are interested in a life lived in relationship with God, it has to be about Jesus. Because that is who God has declared himself to be most clearly and most finally through. And then, you remember the next several chapters of that, that book of Hebrews, which we didn't do together, but if you've read Hebrews, you know that the writer goes on to show that this is huge for Jewish believers. Because what it meant was that Jesus trumped the sacrificial system. Over a thousand years of bloody offerings for sin, striving, striving to please God and do what God has commanded through sacrifice, suddenly gone as a result of Jesus. That is fairly significant life change. Fairly significant. These folks were not ho-hum about Jesus. Jesus had rocked their lives in unimaginable ways. And we described it as a moving from a system of law, have to do certain things, to a system of grace. From thinking that God's favor 
must be earned or maintained through sacrifice to understanding that is not possible. There is nothing that we do that earns the favor, the pleasure, the love of God. And how easy I think that is for us to understand, or at least we process it easily, because we've never lived under a system of law like they did. Or have we? Or do we still? So let's take a few minutes this morning and peel back another layer of this amazing, life-changing work of God in Christ Jesus. Our text this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3. You've heard parts of that already woven into the service. Ephesians is referred to as a prison epistle. It's, it's quite possible that Paul wrote this epistle while he was imprisoned in Rome. Two words, two words that could really be used to describe this epistle would be power and identity. Paul just emphasizes over and over and over again God's power, God's power and what he has done in Christ, how God has changed for all times life because of what he has done in Christ and the power of the spirit who lives in the lives of believers, the power that that spirit gives them to live out their identity as the people of God, to be a people who are Full of the real deal. Pure Jesus, not just a taste. Just before we read our text together, Paul is describing the mystery of God that has been kept secret through the ages. The mystery is that the Gentiles have been included in his salvation. Yeah, you can almost hear Paul thinking, whoa, mind-boggling that God would do this. And it's been accomplished through Christ. And the Gentiles are a part of his church. And he says this, he says, in Christ, in him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Those are important words. With freedom and confidence. That is something that a person who lives under the law cannot do. They cannot approach God with freedom and confidence. Because they are never sure that they've done enough. They are never sure that they have offered the right sacrifices. They are never sure whether there is a sin that they have forgotten or not. You know have I done what's necessary or am I still coming up short? Paul says through Christ, we can enter into the presence of God with freedom and confidence. Not because of what we've done, but because of Christ. All right, let's stand and read together. From Ephesians chapter 3. Here we go. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Be seated. You know, in the original language that uh, those verses that we just read are, are one sentence. It's like Paul just gets cranking and he can't stop. There is such an excitement and an enthusiasm there. Um, can't help himself. And, and as you know, as, as we read together, it's a prayer. It's a prayer. Here's a neighbor question for you. We just heard Paul pray for the Ephesians. He wants them to know the love of Christ. He says this, that surpasses knowledge, that you, be, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants them to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Did you get that? In other words, he's praying that they will know what is ultimately unknowable. So ask your neighbor, what does he mean? He wants them to know what is unknowable. Ask your neighbor, what do you think about that? Okay, what do you think? What gem of wisdom did your neighbor offer to you? What do you think? What, what's, what's Paul getting at here? I don't know either, Doug. <laughs> said that it's not that it's unknowable, it's just not completely knowable. I like that. Thank you, Krista. <laughs> what else? There, is, there, is there a casualness here? Because, go ahead, Jeff. I was thinking it was kind of the striving for the unattainable. Ah. That even though we understand that it's unattainable, that's still something that's and, and if we're striving towards something that's unattainable, and even though we know that, is there, is there benefit, do you think, to us in the process of doing that? A little. Just a little. Just a tad, Rich. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
think that... Catherine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Say more, sister. <laughs> yeah, do you hear that? The word no often, often, depending on its context, implies an intimacy. So there's a sense in which Paul is enjoining the, the Ephesians, pursue this, pursue intimacy with God and this, this unknowable love that he has for you. Do you do that in your life? Do I do that in my life? Am I so taken with the love of God that I am just on this daily pursuit to know it more? There's no end to it. That's what Paul was saying. There's no end, Andrew. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent picture. And isn't it interesting that when Paul talks to the Colossians, He talks about Christ being the fullness of God. That in him, God was pleased to place his fullness. This is a this is a passionate pursuit of God's love to us made known in Jesus This is a love, my friends, like no other love. This is a love like none of us has ever experienced in the human realm. Paul is saying that this is a love that changes everything. And this love is the motivation for the life-changing earthquake that the Jews have experienced in the passing from law to grace. This love has rocked their world. And Paul says there is no end to this love, pursue this love. <laughs> Cute story this week. This uh, this mom says my my four year old son, his name is Ashton, loves the movie Toy Story two, particularly the Space Ranger hero Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, I really love Buzz as well. Recently, in his Sunday school class, they were learning that God's love has no limits. At the end of the class, the teacher reviewing the lesson asked, "So, how much does God love us?" And my son said, "To infinity and beyond." <laughs> He's right. That's exactly what Paul is saying. To infinity and beyond. It is a love that changes everything. One of the, one of the very significant challenges that the early church faced was the understanding of this amazing love of God in Christ and, and the departure from the requirements that were under the law that they had lived with for centuries and then somehow translating that into everyday life. What does that look like? We have responsibilities, but, but they're not required. How do, we, how do we live like that? What did it mean to be a Jew who was now a follower of Christ? Questions about circumcision and the day of worship and foods that could suddenly be eaten that, that had never been allowed before. These were real struggles. Life under the law was not easily laid aside. It was not easily laid aside for them, and it's not easily laid aside for us. You remember Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10? He was praying. He was hungry. 
Scripture tells us that he fell into a trance. This large sheet came down from, from, from the sky and it was filled with all kinds of animals. And he heard this voice that said, go ahead, Peter, kill one. Have yourself a pork sandwich. And Peter said, no way. I have never eaten anything that's unclean. Three times that vision came to Peter. The scripture tells us that while he was thinking about that and the meaning of what he had just seen, God said that there are men coming to you from the house of Cornelius. In Peter's mind, that would have been one of those filthy, stinking Romans. God said, go with them because I'm at work there. You see, the law frees us. The freedom from the law sets us free to be people that we have never been before. It sets us free to hang out with people that we potentially would never hang out with. I've told some of you that God has me on a new adventure of late. I've been praying for several months that God would would give me an opportunity to have more non-Christians in my life. And and just to, to be a friend, just to, to be just to be a, a, a winsome witness for Jesus in their lives, whatever that might look like. A month ago, my neighbor Bob knocked on my door. And he invited me to play on his softball team. My neighbor Bob is a wild man. My neighbor Bob is Let's just say he's a different person than I am. He lives life in a different way. I went to practice on Wednesday morning. I'm pretty sure all the guys on that team are living life in a different way than I am. I am so excited that God would just put me on that softball team so that I can evangelize them and save them all for Jesus. No! Just to be a friend. Just to be with them. Just to hang out, just to hopefully let him see and experience and taste Jesus flowing out of my life, not in a preachy sense, not in an obnoxious sense, not in a, oh, I've got to get these guys saved sense because that's not my responsibility anyway. Life lived under the law prescribes that we that we live life a certain way that we do things a certain way that we spend time in this kind of a place but not in this kind of a place with these kinds of people but not with these kinds of people and and the early believers found their world turned upside down Because suddenly they realize that the love of Yahweh that they had been pursuing and working hard for for centuries was not something that could be earned. It was not something that could be merited based on their lists of do's and don'ts. And there was plenty of them. Suddenly they found out that... That it's not what we've done, it's what God has done. 
And by golly, we're not so special. He loves everybody the way he loves us. And suddenly, their world was turned upside down. Movement from law to grace. And I think the early believers struggled with that tension, and I think we do as well. Exploring the love of God and striving to understand better God's love for us, I think, my brothers and sisters, is the only way to be free from the constraints of law that rise up within each one of us. So, what does that look like? I want to, I want to conclude this morning in just a, a, a little different way than I normally do. I just want to throw out some questions for you. You want to answer them, you can. If you want to just think about them, do that. Things that we know, probably things that we're familiar with, probably things that we can spout off. But do we really live that way? Question number one. Why does God love us? Why does God love us? Do we deserve God's love? Does your neighbor deserve God's love? Does my neighbor, Bob, deserve God's love? How about this one? Are there degrees to God's love? Are there things that we can do that make God love us more? Are there things that we do that make God love us less? How about how about times in our lives when we have failed miserably as Christians, as followers of Christ, things that we have done that, that cause great pain, perhaps in our own life and the lives of those that we're closest to. Do I believe that God loved me just as much then as He does now? How about the times of success and accomplishment? Times when we really felt good about ourselves. What do I attribute those times to? God loving me more than he did when I wasn't so successful? And then you can take these same questions as you wrestle with the hugeness of God's love, the consistency of God's love, the unchanging nature of God's love, 
And then begin to reflect on those same kinds of questions as you think about the relationships that God has in your life. Are there ways in which I put those who are a part of my life, my family, my friends, are there ways that I, that I place them under law because of expectations that I have? that don't flow from the love of God, but perhaps from my own skewed understanding of the love of God? Are there ways that people have hurt me and I have withheld forgiveness? Because they don't deserve to be forgiven. Are there people in my life who I love more than others? Probably human love is much more conditional. The problem being perhaps those that are loved less, do they know that I love them less? Where does that come from? My brothers and my sisters, there is, there is nothing in all of life. Praise team, why don't you come on up? We, we need to conclude. It's 11.15. As they're coming, let me just say this to you. As... As followers of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that gives life like the love of God in Christ. Paul told the Galatians that that the law kills and the spirit of Christ gives life. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And I believe his prayer for us would be that we will be intentional every day in our pursuit of understanding better the amazing, life-transforming love of God for us in Christ. And oh, by the way, don't do that because it's something that you should do. That's law. Do that because you'd be crazy not to. Amen.